Amen. And while they're receiving the offering, I'll just make a couple of announcements uh, for you. Uh, Sunday school teachers, if you forgot to get your lessons this last Sunday, they're on the counter in the office. Please stop by tonight and make sure you pick that up. There'll be two opportunities for soul winning this week, Friday at 345, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Join us for one or both of those. If you've never gone out before, we'll pair you with someone else uh, that knows what to do and you just go along and watch and learn. But let me encourage you to come and be a part of that. As always, right out here in this hallway, there's a, a rack that is filled with gospel tracks for just about any occasion. Uh, stop by and always keep a supply of those on hand. I keep some right in my car, uh, right, right beside me, so that if I go through a drive-through or whatever, if I'm at a gas station pumping gas, I can always just grab one and hand it to somebody that is there or whoever is serving me. Uh, so let me encourage you to always be on the lookout for people to share Christ with. On uh, Sunday, the 26th of this month, that'll be the last Sunday of the month at five o'clock, uh, there will be a meeting for anyone who serves in any area of the ministry, whether it's choir, uh, deacons, ushers, Sunday school, junior church, whatever it happens to be. Uh, it'll be here in the auditorium at five o'clock. Or if you are interested and would like to maybe get involved and serve in an area, uh, you, you need to be here. It is really a mandatory thing. We've not done this since... Uh before COVID, um, and so we just uh, shore some things up and so forth. So we'll be reminding of you that uh, you of that from time to time until that occurs. Registration for Heritage Baptist Academy is now open for current school families and church families. Even if your children are not uh, in the school at this time, it is open for you. Um, on the 17th of March, that'll be opened up to anybody outside. Uh, and we got a waiting list. We've got people chomping at the, at the bit there, calling. Sometimes uh, we've got families that have called two and three times. Can I register my kids yet? Can I register my kids? We're going to fill up quickly. Um, and it's a first come, first serve thing. This last year, uh, we had to cut uh, off uh, registration for several classes in our school. Just simply, you can only put so many students in a classroom. And that's a good problem to have. Uh, by the way, we, we have never been out to just say, let's have a giant school. Uh, we're not looking for a pulse and a checkbook. We want to have a godly school and a good school. Um, and so uh, if, you're, if you think that you'd be interested in that, please contact the church office ASAP uh, and uh, get, get the information that you need about that. Did we find Acts chapter 18 yet? Okay, can we get our map down? If, if Oh, they're ahead of me. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Um, he started out over here in the city of Antioch. Israel is down in this region, and Antioch was the world's first Gentile church. Uh, and it was from that church that the Lord sent out the first missionaries. And uh, their first ministry, uh, they went across to Cyprus up in this region, and they started churches all over this area here. Um, in Bible days, that was called Asia. Today, when we think of Asia, we think of China, India, uh, and so forth. But in, in Bible days, this whole region was Asia. And so that was Paul's first missionary journey. Then they backtracked, went back to Antioch for some time and reported to the church all that God had done. 
Sometime later, Paul said uh, to Barnabas, his companion, let's go back and see how those churches we started are faring. If you remember, Barnabas and Paul had a fuss with each other. Uh, Barnabas had a nephew named, what was it? John Mark, who went on the first trip, but he quit less than halfway through. And Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, there's no way we're taking him. He left us high and dry once. And Barnabas said, but yes, we are going to take him. And they, they got into not a fistfight type thing, but the Bible says the contention was so sharp between them that they split. And uh, they never served the Lord together uh, on that. People have speculated who was right, Barnabas or Paul. You can see a vantage point for each one in the stand that they took. But the truth is, Barnabas took John under his wing, and John went on to become a great servant of the Lord. He is, was used of God to write the book of Mark in our New Testament. And by the time Paul was ready to go to heaven, one of the last requests that he had of Timothy was, uh, bring John Mark, bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul got a new companion by the name of Silas. And so they took off and they went from Antioch and they did an overland route. And they just kind of circled all these churches that they'd been to. And then they were looking for, now, God, where do you want us to go? Paul was a missionary evangelist. He would go to a city or a region. He would start a church, get them grounded and established. Uh, he would help them get a pastor that would help, uh, you know, take them further on. And then he'd go to another town and repeat the process. Over the course of time, we walked through the book of Acts. They traveled westward, and the Holy Spirit just gave them no rest uh, anywhere. And finally, they were at this town right here called Troas. Paul had a vision in Acts 16. And in the vision, there was a man dressed in the garments of a Macedonian. Macedonia is this region up here in the northern Greek peninsula, just saying, come over and help us. And Paul assuredly understood that the Holy Spirit was leading them there. So Paul and Silas, and they picked up Timothy over here uh, in Iconium and Lystra. The three of them traveled across. They went to Philippi and started a church. They went to Thessalonica and started a church, went to Berea. In all three of those churches, Paul encountered fierce persecution. In Philippi, it was from the unsaved people. It was not Jewish people. It was the Greek people. Remember, he, they had led this demon-possessed girl to Christ. And the people that, that owned her, they used her to tell fortunes and things like that. When they saw that uh, the demon was gone, that ability was gone, uh, they took it out on Paul and Silas. They were beaten and thrown in prison. Persecution. When the first time they had it, uh, way back here in uh, Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. So it, it's not a new thing for them to encounter that. But in Philippi, that's where it came from. Thessalonica, the persecution came from the Jewish synagogue. He was only there for about three weeks or so, three Sabbath days. And the Jews who did not believe rose up and created an uproar and a riot and uh, for his own safety, uh, that new flock of believers just told him, you need to leave the city. And so they went down 60 miles away to the city of Berea. They found another synagogue. That's where Paul always went. Uh, he started out, the gospel came to the Jew first, 
and also to the Greek. Paul was Jewish. He was going to his own people just as Christ came to his own, John chapter 1. That's what Paul did. The Jewish people had the scriptures. They had the promises about the coming of a Messiah. And so Paul wanted them to know your Messiah has come. The people at Berea, the Bible says, were more noble than those up in Thessalonica. In that they, they had a ready mind and a heart. They really wanted to know the truth. And they searched the scriptures to make sure that what this man was telling them was true. And many of them got saved as a result. And so there's now another church started in the city of Berea. Well, the people up in Thessalonica... For some reason, they couldn't, uh, they, they couldn't accept the fact, well, Paul left our town. They didn't want him preaching the gospel anywhere. So they made the trip 60 miles. Today, we can do that in about an hour, okay, depending on traffic and weather and all those other things. But you understand 60 miles when back in those days would be a, a trip of maybe several days. But they were willing to do that, to go and stir up trouble to stop these preachers, and it happened in Berea. And the, the Christians there uh, did the same thing they did in Thessalonica. They told Paul, you need to leave. Uh, it's for your own safety uh, at this point. It appears that uh, Paul left Timothy and Silas in Berea to just further establish that church. And then he went all the way down here into the region called Achaia. Today, that is the country of Greece. He went to Athens for a time. We spent uh, uh, some time in Acts chapter 17 there, a city wholly given to idolatry. And Paul's by himself. Um, he is not impressed by the architecture or the history or the, the, uh, the uh, academic standing of the city of Athens. He is just burdened beyond description for their lost condition. And so he preached to them and tried to tell them he found an altar they wanted to make sure they didn't miss any false gods. He found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Paul used that as a springboard to declare unto them the God of the Bible and the promise of a Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Not a lot happened in Athens. A few people got saved. In the last verse of chapter 17, uh, one of the uh, leaders of the Athenian culture, he was called an Areopagite, meaning he was one of the 12 rulers of the city of Athens, got saved. A lady by the name of Damaris got saved and a few others. Uh, we don't know much uh, more about the church that got established there. Early history says it was never a large congregation, uh, but they stayed faithful uh, to the things of, of the scripture. From Athens, Paul traveled here to the city of Corinth. Now, I don't know how well you can see it from there, but Corinth is built on an isthmus. There's a little land bridge here. It had a port on the east side and on the west side. It was uh, a very important city for the Romans uh, because it was right along some trade routes. Uh, it was a city of about a half million people. This wasn't a, a, a tiny village or anything like that. It was a, it was a major metropolis. It was a very wealthy city. Uh, it was a very well-known city, and it was a very wicked city. Uh, today, we have in our country a city that is known as Sin City, which is Las Vegas. In the ancient world, first century, at the time of the Apostle Paul, Corinth 
would have been sin city. Um, all around the, the Roman Empire, if a person was called a Corinthian, or they said you're behaving in a Corinthian manner, it meant that you are an exceptionally immoral, wicked person. Um, like all ancient cities at that time, they had their temples and so forth, but Corinth sort of outdid them all. The temple of Athena, also called um, Aphrodite or Venus uh, or Ashtoreth in the Old Testament, uh, employed some 1,000 temple prostitutes, both male and female. Debauchery was just, just the way that it was. And that was but one temple. And that city was known not, not only for its wealth, but for the sin. You could go there and you could buy and sell people. Um, we, we won't go into any more than that. But that is where Paul went. And uh, by the way, we're, we're talking about a man who is led by the Holy Spirit. He's not just wandering around aimlessly. He's brought there by the Lord. Go look with me, chapter 18. This is sort of review to bring us up to where we're at on this missionary journey. Uh, verse one, after these things, Paul departed from Athens, came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius, that's the Roman emperor Claudius, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So Paul's first contact in the city of Corinth was this man and his wife, Aquila and Priscilla. We don't know when this couple got saved. The Bible doesn't tell us that. They may have been Paul's converts at this time. They may have already been saved. We know all the way back, long time ago, when we started studying the book of Acts in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, there were people from Rome that got saved. And they may have gone back. Aquila and Priscilla may have been two of them or may have been converts from some of them. We're, we're not sure. Uh, but Paul came in contact with them and uh, because they had the same occupation, remember we learned last week, um, Jewish rabbis always taught their sons a trade. Um, they, they, they believed that they needed to do more than just uh, sit around and be a scholar, but they needed to be able to support their families. And so Paul's occupation clearly was a tent maker and so were they. So this team is formed. We looked last week in the book of Romans, Aquila and Priscilla went back to Rome for a while and actually had a church meeting in their house um, and so forth. So he, he's, he's got his first friends in the city of Corinth. Um, verse four, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So that's his custom. We knew that from chapter 17. Um, and as a rabbi, he would be allowed to, to stand up and speak and to teach. Uh, he had impeccable credentials uh, and, and so forth. And so every Sabbath day, that'd be on a Saturday, there he is reasoning with them out of the scriptures, uh, telling them about Christ, uh, that ne he needed to die and be buried and resurrected, and that Jesus of Nazareth was that Christ, that Messiah. He was there every Sabbath. Bible doesn't say how many weeks he was there, but he did that, verse 5. 
And again, I'm going quickly here because we, we talked about uh, all of this last Wednesday night. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. After a long time, we think probably several months, the team is back together again. Paul's been by himself. He's not had anybody there for moral support. He has met Aquila and Priscilla. They are new friends of his. But Silas and Timotheus, they were his fellow servants and and, and ministers of Christ and so forth. And uh, when when, uh, they came, it's, it's like Paul just got that shot in the arm type thing. Uh, The Bible says he was pressed in the spirit. That word pressed means totally consumed. He was more burdened than ever that that his Jewish uh, fellow countrymen should know all that they could know about Jesus Christ. He really wanted them to be saved. He had such a burden for them. Uh, Go back with, turn with me. uh, Don't go back. Go forward to Romans chapter 9. Remember, Paul was Jewish by birth. Nationality. He was born and raised in the Jewish religion, very devout, very sincere about that. He came to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah that all Jewish people were waiting on. And now he had a burden for other Jewish people to know what he did. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. In just four simple verses, Paul's just laying out his heart. I have continual heaviness, uh, sorry, great heaviness, continual sorrow in my heart. Um, No matter if the sun was shining or not, no matter if it was what you would call a good day or a bad day, in, in Paul's heart was always this heavy burden. He wanted to see his people come to know Christ as Savior. Um, We didn't, my family and I didn't grow up in a church like this. We didn't grow up in a church that, that preached the Bible. Um, my brother and sister and I all got saved on the same day, on a Thursday in August 1972. Uh, my father got saved after I went to college. Uh, but even though he wasn't saved, we all ended up uh, attending a church like this one. And as, as, as the understanding of salvation dawned on us, we had a great burden for our family to get saved. Um, I only had one grandparent that I ever really knew. Uh, my one grandfather on my dad's side, he, he passed away before I was born. My grandmother and grandfather on my mom's side passed away when I was about three years of age, and I, I only vaguely have any remembrance of them at all. But I had one grandmother, had some aunts and uncles, lots and lots of cousins and stuff, 
And uh, I, I can remember us just reaching out to our family every time the church had a program or something like that, inviting our family to come and, and come to church. Um, I can happily say that my grandmother got saved before she passed away. Um, I, I, I've had cousins that got saved. I had some uh, aunts and uncles that got saved and so forth. But sadly, there were a lot of them didn't want anything to do. Uh, with the gospel and some got mad and some some cut off all ties with our family uh, as a result of that but as once you know what salvation is all about and number one you know how wonderful it is and number two you know what the penalty is for rejecting Christ isn't there a compelling desire I want the people that I love the most to get saved how many understand that um I'm sure that if we took the time, we could just go around and many of you that have tried to witness to family members uh, or co-workers or, or friends of a lifetime and try to share Christ with them and, and how it hurt you if they rejected Christ or even got mad at you for, uh, for opening up the subject. Paul said, I have this continual sorrow for my brethren according to the flesh. And he wasn't just talking about my immediate brothers and sisters. He's talking about my, my Jewish family uh, extended all around the world. That's why he always started out in a synagogue to the Jew first. He wanted them to know. Romans 10. Romans 10. Paul says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? saved. He's, he's issuing it out again. Um, he just, he just can't get away from that. I do need you to go back to chapter nine, verse three. There's, there's another statement Paul made indicating how intense his burden was in verse three. He said, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is expressing a heart's desire that most of us don't quite understand. He's saying, I would be willing to die and go to hell if, it, if I could trade places with my kinsmen. That's how much I care about them. I'm going to be honest, I can't, I, I can't honestly say that I share that, that feeling. That's how intense Paul was about it. That's why he was unstoppable. That's why they could stone him at Lystra and he'd get back up and go back into the city. That's why they could persecute him in Thessalonica. So he'd just go to the next town and start a church there and they'd persecute him there and then he'd go to Athens and uh, he would preach the gospel there and they'd laugh at him. They'd call him names. A handful would get saved and so then he'd leave there and he'd go to Corinth. His whole life was spent doing that. Nothing could stop this guy because his burden for his people was so great. So go back with me to Acts chapter 18. Paul's pressed in the spirit. He, he is totally consumed, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Verse six, and when they opposed themselves, we talked about that phrase last week, they set themselves in battle array. These are the people that the, as Paul said in Romans nine, to them was given the promises. The scripture was given to the Jewish people. What we call the Old Testament or, or the, are the Jewish scriptures even today. They've got it. They claim they believe the Bible and they don't like what Paul is showing them from the Bible. Do you ever read something from the Bible that you kind of wish wasn't there? 
because it means you, you got to change something, you got to stop doing something, you got to start doing something. Um, the Bible says these people dug in so much that uh, they, they said, we don't really care what the Bible says. They dug themselves in and said, we will fight to the death to stop you. The Bible says they blasphemed. Blaspheming is when you speak evil of the Lord. Remember the man that I asked you to pray about? Okay. Um, if you had read his post, it, it would have maybe made you angry on my end. It, it didn't really make me angry. It, it really broke my heart for him. But the, the vile things he said about God, the vile words he used to describe God, that is blasphemy. So he's in a synagogue. He's got their scriptures, the Old Testament. Remember, there was no New Testament written when they were preaching in those days. They were opening up to Isaiah and, and uh, Deuteronomy and, and uh, all of those things, showing the Jewish people, here's the promises and here's how Jesus fulfilled them and so forth. Um, they're actually blaspheming the name of God. It is, am it is amazing what, what uh, lengths rebellion will take us to. I've often used the phrase here, rebellion makes people stupid. Understand this, rebellion makes people wicked. It makes people wicked. And they were willing to go that far, so much so that the, the, the Bible says he shook his raiment. Um, it, shaking his raiment was a symbolic gesture. Have you ever sit and sat down to eat somewhere and you got breadcrumbs or something all over? When you stood up, you brushed your clothes off, that type of thing. How many are talking about? When a Jewish person, when it says they shook their raiment, they're shaking it out as if they're shaking off the dirt or the breadcrumbs, uh, things like that. It, it's symbolic of saying, uh, I'm done with you. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm casting you aside. I'm casting you away from me. Okay, and Paul has something to say. He said, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. You're responsible for your decision for Christ. Paul said, I'm clean. I told you the truth. I showed you from the Bible. I have been doing so for weeks on end, showing you from the scripture and you've rejected it. It's your fault now. It's your fault now. You and I need to be able to say to anybody that we come in contact with, I'm clean. I've done my best to share Christ with you. I've done my best to at least get a gospel track to you, to get a witness for Christ to. Uh, otherwise, we can't say I'm, I'm clean in that respect. Paul said, I've done everything I can. He says, from henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. Now, remember... Paul said in Romans 9 and 10, he shared about his burden for the Jewish people. This isn't meaning Paul's never going into a synagogue again as we walk through the rest of the book of Acts. Well, see, he, he did that. He's just saying in the city of Corinth with that particular group of people, he's done. He's done going into the synagogue and teaching them. From that point on, he's going to go out to the Gentiles. It's a city of a half a million strong. The Jewish population was a very small portion uh, of that population. He said, I'm going out to the Gentiles. Now, to the Jewish people, that, that's had them out to spitting in their faces because they had a very low opinion of Gentiles. 
They saw Gentiles as dogs, as barbarians, and so forth. And Paul's actually saying to them, you are not worthy of the message that I'm proclaiming. I'll go take it to them. And uh, so he, he, he leaves verse 7. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice. That's a Greek name, so we're assuming a Greek man. One that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So uh, Paul just went next door. He went right next door, not across the street. Evidently, this man's house was shared a wall with the synagogue. It was a, a, a city-type thing and, and houses built right on you know, top of each other. Like I, I mentioned, the brownstones and, and, and Jeanette, we had what were called row houses. Philadelphia has them everywhere. Um, uh, so Paul leaves the synagogue and goes, I mean, literally right next door to Justice, a man that had gotten saved, and uh, they're going to start a church right there, right next door. Um, verse 8, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So Paul didn't leave empty-handed. The chief ruler of the synagogue said, wait a minute, Paul, you're not leaving empty-handed. I believe everything that you've said. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Messiah and he got saved and Mrs. Crispus got saved and all the little Crispers got saved and uh, they all just went next door. They got baptized and, and the church at Corinth is, is got an official start uh, that's there. Can you imagine what the people over in the synagogue are thinking? They thought they got rid of the guy. They just lost their chief ruler. So th th this is not quite the victory that they thought. But I want you to consider for a moment as we get ready to look at, at verse 9 and move forward tonight, how hard this must have been for the Apostle Paul. He understands the, the, the hardened mindset of Jewish people who just don't want to accept that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He was one of them. Remember his testimony? Uh, we met him all the way back in chapter 7 um, and he was consenting to the stoning to death of Stephen because of Stephen's, Stephen's witness for Christ. And Saul was all behind that. That was his name at that time, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, we see in chapter 8, uh, he is breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He is putting men and women like you and I in prison. If we were in Jerusalem uh, at the time that Saul of Tarsus was running his reign of terror, it would have been nothing for Saul to come in with the temple guard and grab all of us that he could before we could escape and, and haul us off to prison. By his own later testimony, Stephen wasn't the only guy whose death he had a part in. He calls himself a murderer from before he got saved, breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples. Well, that man was consumed with hatred. Paul understands the opposition of his people. But Paul came into personal contact with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. He understood the power of God and the message of the gospel and it utterly and fundamentally changed him. And the man who was at one time breathing out uh, threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, 
He's now this guy that is completely consumed, pressed in the spirit, trying to make disciples for the Lord. But, sorry, Siri thought I was talking to her. Um, um, now, now, now remember, Paul, is, Paul understands their mindset but he wants them to change their mind like he did. He knows how important it is. But everywhere he's gone in his missionary journeys, his people have rejected Christ. Oh, there were some Jewish people got saved here and there. I spoke with a friend of mine uh, that I haven't talked to in many, many years, evangelist Brian Sharp. He preached here a number of years ago. Um, he is having identical chest pain issues uh, to what I have. Uh, they put a stent in that didn't solve the issues. I mean, it, and it's been almost the exact same time period as mine. And he just wanted to find out where, where I was going next, what was going on and so forth. And he ended the conversation. I appreciated this. We could sit and bemoan our, you know, our aches and pains. And I'm at the age where I have a lot of them. And so do you. He just decided, no, nah, that's not how we're going to end this. He started talking about some, uh, you know, a doctor he got to witness to. He said, oh, by the way, I just got to win three Jewish people to Christ. And I, got to, I got to show them that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. He said, it was the most amazing uh, conversation that I'd had. And, and that's how we ended the conversation. It was a joyful thing. That's all Paul wants. But by and large, the synagogues rejected Christ, though individuals in those synagogues got saved. Timothy was one. He was a convert to Paul. His mother was Jewish. Um, his father was a Greek. His mom and grandmother, and he got saved. Paul saw that, but everywhere he went, he watched his people say no to God. He saw their anger. They stoned him at Lystra. Drove him out of town in Thessalonica. Drove him out of town in Berea. Chased him around. I mean, it, it was just one rejection after another, and it's happened again. It's happened again. We can get easily discouraged in the work of the Lord, can't we? You try your best. You pray. You give of your time, talent, treasure. You work as hard as you know how to work, and it just seems like it falls on deaf ears. You pass out gospel tracts and nobody seems to even want to take one. Or if they do, you don't seem to see any fruit. You knock on doors. You, you work that bus route. You teach that Sunday school class. You wonder, am I making any difference at all? And it's very easy to get discouraged and wonder, am I wasting my time? What, what am I doing this for? We can only assume that even someone like the Apostle Paul might have found himself in that position. Here he is at Corinth, and it's happening all over again. Brings us to verse 9. Then. I like it when the Lord has a then. Things are looking difficult. Then spake, to, spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. The Lord's going to appear to Paul in his lifetime about four different times. We know he spoke to him on the road to Damascus. He speaks to him here. When we get to about chapter 23, the Lord's going to appear to him again. In chapter 27, in the middle of a massive storm, the Lord's going to appear to him again. So here's Paul. He's in a, if you will, a discouraging situation. Then spake to the Lord, to Paul in the night by vision, be not afraid. I think somebody preached on that recently. 
Anybody remember that sermon? It's right up there. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. I know my message has been rejected and you've been rejected because of it over and over again. Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, Don't hold your peace. Just go ahead and speak. Look at verse 10. For I am what? I am with thee. Um, doesn't the book of Hebrews say, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? Paul, I know you felt like you were alone at Athens, but I was there. I know Silas and Timothy were still up at Berea where you left them, and Luke was probably still at Thessalonica, but I never left you for a moment, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. God's just kind of giving Paul a glimpse of what's going on and what's about to happen so that Paul doesn't give in to discouragement. I like the fact that the Lord can do that, that he can encourage our heart. Um, Keep your place here and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, a letter written to the very church that Paul is starting in Acts chapter 18. Verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That which you do for God means something. Sometimes we are so results-oriented that we feel like if we're not seeing some kind of massive results that we're really not accomplishing anything at all. But that's just not the case. Your, Your labor and your work for God is not in vain. It is not empty. Um, You have no idea who you're influencing, whose life you might be touching right now. God's going to get a hold of them and God's going to use that influence that you might think doesn't amount to much. And in their life, it is going to be something absolutely astounding. You you just never know who that person's going to be. Somebody tell me who Ed Kimball was. Shoe salesman, shoe salesman, and a Sunday school teacher of a high school boys' Sunday school class in Boston, Massachusetts. Sunday school teacher. His job was a shoe salesman. He got a burden for the boys in his Sunday school class that every one of them should at least have a clear presentation of the gospel. He wanted to see all of them get saved. There was a young boy that was coming to his Sunday school class by the name of of Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody was from the country, and he's now living in Boston with an uncle. It's sort of an upscale church. Everybody's a tad bit on the snooty side. And this boy was the country bumpkin and all that kind of stuff. He didn't know how to behave, you know, in one of these, uh, you know, highfalutin churches. And... um, Uh, Ed Kimball, the Sunday school teacher, I'm sorry, it was D.L. Moody that was the shoe salesman. Ed Kimball decided to go by and see D.L. Moody where he worked one day. 
and uh, shared the gospel with him behind the shoe racks, led that teenage boy to Christ. He had no idea. Uh, by the way, Ed Kimball only taught a small Sunday school class, and that was about it. But his convert, D.L. Moody, went on to shake America and England with the gospel. It is said that about a million people came to Christ in the life of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had converts, and just if you follow the, the, the lineage, some of the, the 20th century's most famous evangelists, one of the last one being Billy Graham, was a convert of a convert of a convert of a convert of Ed Kimball. It all got traced back to that. Um, I wonder if Ed Kimball ever wondered if he was wasting his time, if, you know, I'll never do anything great for God. Do you realize if he hadn't been a good Sunday school teacher and he hadn't been a faithful soul winner, how many millions of people would have never, ever heard the gospel? Paul is coming. uh, The Lord came to Paul and said, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you. Just speak. Don't hold your peace. And I like what he said said in the end of verse 10, for I have much people in this city. Now, as far as we know, Paul's the first Christian to come through. The gospel is just beginning to be proclaimed. What God's saying is here, I I already know there's a whole bunch of people in this city that are going to get saved. Paul's ministry almost everywhere he's gone to this point has only lasted in each city for maybe a few weeks, maybe a couple of months at the most. I mean, Thessalonica, he was there three Sabbath days, and they ran him out of town. Um, That would be rough to just, you know, you barely get started and you have to leave. Paul's going to end up being in Corinth for the better part of two years. It will be one of his longest ministries uh, of his entire life. And during that time, God said, I just want you to understand, there's a lot of people in this town that are going to get saved. I wonder... I wonder how many people are left to, that will get saved if we would stay faithful and just get the gospel out. Well, I used to go soul winning, but I didn't see a lot happen. Does that mean there's nobody left to get saved? Maybe there's just uh, some more doors that you need to knock on, some more tracks you need to pass out. And so Paul gives, uh, gets this message of encouragement from the Lord, verse 11. He continued there a year and six months. Now, he's already been there several weeks, uh, according to verse four. We don't know how long. Now he's there uh, a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. Paul is going to see a great church get established. Two, two books of our New Testament are letters Paul wrote back to that church. Before we're done tonight, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter one. Remember, Corinth is a wicked town, wicked city. Um, just maybe, maybe the capital of filth in, in the entire ancient world. But I want you to notice what Paul has to say uh, uh, to, to his converts. First Corinthians chapter one, look at verse four. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance, And in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that year and six months that Paul assembled with those people, people got saved from all points of that city, 
from all walks of life. There were some Jewish converts. We know that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and his, his wife and children uh, were some of the very first converts that were part of that. And undoubtedly, there were probably some other individual Jewish people got saved. It's a Greek city. We know a lot of them would have gotten saved. There would have undoubtedly been some slaves that got saved. Uh, we know from later in the book of 1 Corinthians, in that church, they had some very, very rich people and they also had some very, very poor people. They were from all walks of life. Corinth was sort of like the New York City of its day, a melting pot of people from all over the Roman Empire were there, and people were getting saved from all walks of life. And in that church, through the teaching of the Apostle Paul, and he was followed by a man named Apollos who was very eloquent in the scriptures. Eventually the apostle Peter came and pastored that church for a while. You got this church of people that, that had a great understanding of the word of God. Um, the Bible said we read it there so that ye, can't, ye come behind in no gift. This was a church that had people that could teach, that could organize, uh, some of the people there uh, had the wherewithal to give and, and support the ministry and help other people out. Um, they, they, they had everything. Undoubtedly, there were some people that could work well with children, some that could work well with elderly people. Um, they came behind in no gift. God put together a great church uh, while Paul was there. Imagine if he'd have gotten discouraged after... Uh, Oh, let's say after verse eight. Here we go again. Here we go again. Same thing. Same thing. I'll just leave here and I'll just go somewhere else and see if I'll do better. Imagine if he'd have quit. None of that would have happened. Um, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Um, even a great Christian like the Apostle Paul could get discouraged. And isn't it sweet of the Lord that God specifically reached out to him? Don't be afraid. Don't hold your peace. Just keep on speaking. There are a lot of people going to get saved in this city before it's all done. We need to stop there at verse 11. Um, and uh, there's one more event that is about to take place uh, in the city of Corinth. And remember, God, one of the things God promised him, nobody's going to hurt you here. He's already been hurt at least once. In Lystra, they stoned him and left him for dead. I think that hurt. Uh, but God gave him insurance here. Nobody's going to hurt you here, and they're going to try. Brother Tim in Sunday school was talking about the prophecy that Deborah gave to Barak before he went off to fight against uh, uh, Sisera, the captain of the host of the king of Canaan. Um, and Deborah told him, he said, you're going to win the battle, but you're not going to get the credit for it. The honor, the glory of it is going to go to a woman. Now, most men would not be willing to trade in their man card to let a woman take the victory uh, from him. Barak didn't care. He's just going to do what God wanted him to do. And then in very short order, he, what Barak got to watch that prophecy come to pass. Barak, by the way, was a great man of faith. Brother Tim's done an outstanding job. If you're not in Sunday school at 10 o'clock, you really need to be here. You're missing some amazing lessons on that. Uh, Paul's about to see the same thing. God gave him a promise here. 
there's going to be a lot of people saved in this city and no man is going to hurt you here. In the next verses that we'll with next week, they're going to try and in the most incredible turn of events, they are going to not only fail, but they're the ones that are going to get hurt. And I can just sort of see Paul, he's got a little bit of this in him going, nah, 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 nah. I can just see him saying, whoa, God, that was pretty awesome. I love it when God keeps his word. By the way, God always keeps his word. Just stay faithful and you'll get to see it happen. We need to stop there. Uh, it, Brother Tim, do we need to tear down? So if you can help us to tear down the auditorium for school tomorrow, we'd appreciate that. Uh, otherwise, don't forget to get your kids before you go home. We'd appreciate if you take them with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible.